Hello, and welcome to The Bible Never Said That. My name is Shara Donahue, and this is a podcast where we talk about popular sayings that have invaded the culture and church, even though they forsake sound theology. Today, we are exploring the ever-popular saying, look out for number one. This idea comes from a culture that has seen humanity fail time and time again. A culture that has been wounded and cries out, you can't trust anyone, so look out for yourself first. We like this statement because people have failed us or have just plain gotten in the way of what we wanted. But by adopting a mantra like this, we give ourselves license to step on or over the people who keep us from getting what we want and think is best. But if we live like this, we will not become like Christ, but drift further away from Him. Jesus would never have taken the cross that ransomed our souls if He followed this adage. This is obviously a self-focused mentality, and is the mindset of someone living in fear that there will not be enough for them. A life of competition, fear, and self-preservation can lead to exhaustion, depression, and anxiety. We were made to live in community. Shielding ourselves from laying down our desires for others means denying the greatest form of love. Jesus taught, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In John 15, 13. The cross of Christ is the greatest symbol of generosity and sacrificial love the world has ever known. Our pre-Christ condition is easily tied to the idea of looking out for number one. But it was also a desperate state to be in. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Without hope. Without God. Until Jesus gave all of himself to save us. He was the sacrifice that relinquished the comforts of heaven, lived perfectly, and made atonement for the sins of all that would turn to him. So obviously, looking out for number one was never something that guided Jesus. But for those of us who are a bit jaded or hurting, Our deepest need is to have the sinful nature wiped clean so that we are welcomed into the household of God. This great need is the cry of our soul. And Jesus answered his life for ours. The greatest form of love and an unbeatable example of looking out for others. And because of Jesus's life lived, not just life given up, we have even more. Jesus entered into a world infected and gave his time to the people who needed healing. He felt compassion for the hurting and gave emotionally as he bound up broken hearts. He saw those who were like sheep without a shepherd, and he led them. While these are all worth incorporating in our own lives where we can, there is one way that Jesus gave that we in our current day culture desperately need. Jesus offered his attention. When he moved to the crowds and a desperate woman reached for his robe, 
he stopped to bless her. When his disciples told the children to run along, he let them come. When he was being tortured on the cross, he asked God to forgive those inflicting the torture. Jesus saw to the hearts of people, and so must we. He did not ignore need when it presented itself, but he acknowledged and addressed the needs as he went. He didn't look out for number one. Even though if there was ever anyone who deserved the title of number one, it's Jesus. But to love like him, we cannot shut ourselves off to the needs of the world around us. 1 John three sixteen through 17 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If we retreat to self-preservation, we look inward. Yet if we look up, recognize the value of the other, and offer the gift of presence, we will begin to remember that the world does not revolve around our desires and fears, but that we were created for community. But our attitudes can hinder the building of community, especially this one. When we first came to Christ, hopefully we began to awaken to the fact that attitudes living within us were far from the way He lived. While God gives us the strength we need to act as He instructed, We must keep a careful watch over our hearts and our tongues. Anybody who has been a part of the church knows that while Jesus is perfect, his people are not, at least not yet. Because of this, he has offered us his saving grace. God loves us enough to set us free from mindsets, temperaments, and routines that just distract us and draw us away from his love. So today we're going to spend some time looking at these attitudes that will not only pollute our lives as individuals, but they will also totally aggravate the people around us. We have got to learn and we must refuse to spread darkness with our stinky attitudes and look for the freedom that comes from daily seeking to be more like Jesus in our actions and our attitudes. The first attitude we are looking at is right in line with the philosophy of those who love to look out for number one. I call this the me first lovers. Most bad attitudes can be traced back to selfishness, but that does not make interacting with those who demand to be first any less irritating. Even the Apostle John would find himself irked by this inclination. He said in 3 John 9-10, through 10, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Hmm, doesn't sound too pleasant. Our attitudes, though, are one of the ways we serve our Lord and glorify our Savior. We cannot be known for only serving ourselves. That is the way of the world. We do not want to be like those seen in Isaiah fifty-six eleven where it says they are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Then there are people out there who are just plain nasty. Some people are just mean 
And who knows why they do it, but we do know it's no fun to be around. Impatience, cruelty, and vengeance plague our world. And unfortunately, sometimes these characteristics are applauded by the world. However, those who have been made new need not give in to spite. Nastiness is the battle cry of a desperate and jaded world. We know Jesus has already won the battle, and there's no need to forsake kindness for harsh and hateful acts. The Bible repeatedly warns of the dangers of anger and the benefits of kindness, and that the trials of life are not solved by spite. The people of Christ are overcomers. We, as Romans 12.21 says, are not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The next attitude we're going to look at is those with a superiority complex. Have you ever met someone who seemed to work under the presumption that they were above the general population? Even if this type of attitude most often stems from deep, unsettling inadequacy in an individual, it can simply be annoying to be around. Romans 15, 1 through 2 clearly states, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. It does not say that those who are strong should make everyone else feel small. If you're tempted to act as though you are higher than others, the best way to fix this attitude problem is just to remember how small you actually are. The swiftest cure is to look up at God. Take the time to read Job 38 and try and answer the questions God sets before Job. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And it goes on. But anyone who reads God's words quickly gets the idea. In the grand scheme of things, we are but dust. However, God still chose to love you. He still chose to love me. And because of that, our value is beyond measure. Keep in mind that this is not just true for you. It's true for all of his people. He loves us. He's beyond our comprehension. And still he gave himself up for us. Another attitude that stumps community is those who rest in comfortable complacency. When the world feels chaotic and its problems feel too big, it's easy for us to give up on hope for change. Now, complacency doesn't tend to get on the nerves of others as much as some of the other attitudes we've covered, but it still impacts the kingdom of God. And Jesus was definitely not complacent. If the devil can't make you hurt others, he may settle for keeping you from helping others. It's tempting to become numb to the pain and sorrow of the world. But a numb life is not the life we are called to. God does not ignore the pain of the world, and neither should we. Hebrews 6, 10-12 offers great encouragement to keep working for His kingdom. It says God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, 
but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Complacency doesn't just hurt us, it hurts those around us. And it ignores the call that's on our life. It ignores that our God conquers all things and is greater than all things and is willing to use us to see his good things come to this earth. And that leads us into our next attitude. Because one of the ways that looking out for number one can come out in the church is those who are glory seekers. Now, credit should be given when it is due, but when people strive for recognition by running over others, accept praise for work that is not their own, and push their way to the front time after time, the quest for distinction chips away at dignity. This proclivity often stems from a fractured need to prove one's worth and justify their existence. And recognition only satisfies this thirst for one moment. Value and justification are only fully satisfied in Christ. And if we look anywhere besides at him, we're not going to find it. We must realize we can do nothing of eternal value disconnected from the one who reigns over eternity. Isaiah 66, 2 says, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. People are not quick to admit that they try to steal from God, but even Christians are tempted to hold on to a bit of God's glory and try and keep it for themselves. We don't need to try and demand the spotlight. The spotlight cannot save us. And on the other side of the glory-seeking coin lie the blamethrowers. People have been passing the buck trying to make others culpable for their problems and sins since the beginning. When God questioned Adam and Eve about their blatant disobedience, the blame was quickly passed. Genesis 3, 11 through 12 shows us what transpired when God first questioned Adam. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. That didn't work as well as either Adam or Eve had hoped, and they were still both given consequences for their choices. You can try to not take responsibility for your own life and choices, but God sees all and will not be fooled. You will be accountable for your actions. Romans fourteen twelve should be enough of a motivator for any of us tempted to try and escape responsibility by blaming others, because the truth is not ambiguous. It says, So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This next attitude is one I have to be kind of careful to explain because it often belongs to people who are truly hurting. And yes, we are commanded in Galatians 6-2 to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Yet there are some people who use this verse to justify their terrible attitudes, There is a difference between people who need someone to come alongside them to help carry the burden of life and someone who is always seeking pity. Sometimes a need for attention works itself out as someone who is a pity petitioner. A person can be in a position where they have struggled to find a way to receive approvals for others. So instead of looking for approval, they turn to petitioning for pity. 
They always have a sad story, a new emergency, or an urgent need, and do very little to live with the wisdom needed to remedy their persistent state of crisis. Healthy people can best help those with this type of attitude, not by constantly giving them the reward they seek, attention through pity, but instead by implementing the verse that appears right before the instruction to bear one another's burdens. It says in Galatians 6, 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. Watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. If we truly desire to help people, we must work to restore them, not just allow them to continue on in cycles of self-centeredness. We draw boundaries where appropriate, encourage them to find a way to serve others, and remind them to seek God for all their needs because he cares for them. Pity doesn't always look like self-centeredness, but it is an attitude that is focused on self. Poor me. Things are so bad. Life is so hard, but none of that says, but God is, but God is this. And it's a different form of pride that brings us to these places of self-pity. Let's now look at some of the obvious problems with pride. Pride can be sneaky and destructive. It keeps people from asking for help when they need it. It has people covering their pain when they are hurting, and it builds walls of pretension between God and man. Isaiah 5.21 warns, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Jonathan Edwards wrote in his advice to young converts that believers need to remember that pride is the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It was the first sin that ever was and lies the lowest in the foundation of Satan's whole building. So, Pride may wear different faces, but it always destroys. All people must decide what they think about God, and those who choose to follow his ways submit their attitudes to his commands. The great news is that in doing so, we see our own dispositions becoming loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and kind. We find ourselves stepping into the abundant life when we let Jesus be the Lord of our attitudes. As we've seen, looking out for number one can display itself in different ways, but there's not one of them that is biblical. So to end our time today, we'll pray. We'll pray that God will change us, that he will shape us, that he will lead us. Jesus, it's so easy to see how far from you our attitudes can stray. Please continually shape us to be more like you. Don't let us get away with a self-centered mindset that is preached so often by the world. But give us strength to stand in the ways of your glorious kingdom. We thank you for being the perfect example. We praise you for the goodness and righteousness you brought to this hurting world. Please put our feet on the right path and give us peace as we let old things go so we can step into the new way of life you offer. We need you, and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Hey, way to go. 
you made it through an episode that makes you take a hard look at your own propensity to be self-focused. And that's not always easy to face. If you're looking for more, the resources, books, and articles referred to in this episode can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes. And we'd love if you would rate and review this podcast so that others can find us. Until next time, may you seek the abundant life that Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.